This is Get a Load of This Podcast, where we cover topics for truckers and entrepreneurs alike. Our guests are coming straight from the trucking industry and industries that directly influence and impact the truckers and trucking companies. We want to bring tremendous value to today's leaders and entrepreneurs and our future of the trucking industry. The common passion amongst our hosts and our guests is one thing. It's you. It's you, the people that make this country move, the trucking industry. Enough with the introductions. Let's get this load on the road. We are your hosts, Thomas, Cameron, and Ryan. Let's get rolling. Welcome back, everybody, to Get a Load of This Trucking Podcast. Thank you for spending some time with us. Welcome back, loyal listeners. For new folks, uh, you're in for a special treat. I got a good buddy of mine coming on today, special guest Benjamin with Freight 360. He knows Freight inside and out. He's been around a long time, the good, the bad, the ugly. Let's find out what there is to be excited about or not, or you should plan for this next year. Ben, what's happening? Not much, man. Excited to be here. Always like recording with you. Done an episode or two in the past with you and been on our show, and I think you're going to be on our schedule sometime shortly, actually. I look forward to it. Talking about an exciting topic of insurance, as uh, most people probably check out the second they hear that word. So, Yeah, well, it's funny. It's like they may, but until it becomes an issue, then it becomes a huge issue, and it is a whole lot harder to resolve after things have happened than to get it before things have happened, obviously. So, uh, And you know, it's wild and we, we're not going to dive into this topic because uh, it, it would be boring, but it's crazy to me that freight brokers are not required to carry insurance. And what's more crazy is that a freight brokerage bond only is uh, mandatory up to 75000 which is kind of a joke by the time you actually need the money. But we'll save that for a different <laughs> different day. For sure. Uh, plant that seed. And then those that want to learn more or want to hear more about it can go listen to your show when you and I do chat, which will probably be a little bit more about insurance. So um, yep. I wanted to get you on and I appreciate you taking the time. I know how busy you are and uh, it means a lot that you're willing to come on and share and have a conversation. I I wanted to talk about kind of the last 12 months, 18 months, we're coming out of a gold rush via COVID and all of a sudden the freight market boomed and all these new DOT entrants came in. Everyone's making money, getting loans, buying trucks, buying equipment, moving freight, living in the spot market, all this kind of stuff to now it's like, you got an exodus, which is to be expected. The numbers I don't think are changing percentage wise of people coming in, people going out, but you just had so much happening that it just seems amplified now. And it's, um, it's a tough market. I mean, I pay attention to DAT stats and the numbers. I talk to my clients, I hear from freight brokers and asset based carriers to my friends, to different people doing warehousing and all this stuff. And it is a different market. It's kind of something different than I feel like we've seen in the past, which I know you've been around. So that's why I'm excited to kind of hear from you and get your take on, you know, your thoughts, how this last year has gone. And then we'll get into maybe the next year here in a minute, but for sure. Yeah. You want to jump right in? Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what you pointed out is, I think, absolutely true. And I think there's a few things that caused it, right, that most people are aware of, I guess. You know, they've been on the news or, you know, or at least read articles here or there. It's, you know, you had a massive spike in the need for trucking services during the pandemic, right? And I don't think a lot of people necessarily think through 
like the fundamentally why that actually happened, like just related to the need and the spike and the need for trucking, right? 21, when you saw rates hit all time highs for all time periods, right? In the news, supply chain all day, president's talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. You couldn't turn around without hearing about it, right? But the real simple reason that that boomed as much as it did as fast and unexpectedly as it was and for as long as it was was really kind of simple right if you just think about like what the average american or american family spends right if you looked at a big pie like we spend some money on things right stuff for our house computers tvs clothes right we spend some money on our homes right remodeling sometimes. Maybe it's an apartment and you buy some picture frames and things like that. We spend money on services like food. We go to restaurants, right? We go to movie theaters, we go to concerts, we go to vacations, right? So once everybody literally locked down and couldn't leave their house, right? We all didn't have any ability to spend money on the things we normally did, right? All the things that were outside your house, bars, restaurants, movies, to just name a few, concerts, sporting events, things like that. So all that money couldn't be spent, right? Now you have everybody with nothing to do and a little more discretionary money because you're also not commuting. All these other little things that we spend money on that you don't think about. Drop your kid off at school and you stop at Starbucks, right? You grab your kid something to eat on the way home because it's faster. You're picking them up. They got t-ball practice, whatever. Like all those little things aren't happening. And now you're in your house, you're planning your meals. What else do you have to do, right? People are baking more, cooking more, because why not? What else are you going to do, right? And we spent more of that money in a smaller number of places, right? More trips to the grocery store to buy larger quantities. And that's the thing I think that was really overlooked, right? Everyone's like, well, I always go to the grocery store. Yes, but the average, right, Americans spend a portion every week ordering out or going to a restaurant. Now all of it's bought through your local grocery store, right? So you have a huge spike in the products that need to be able to be purchased from a grocery store. So shipping goes through the roof. The demand just to your local grocery store goes up significantly because nobody can eat anywhere else. Restaurants aren't getting any of these food, right? And on top of that, right, we're buying more stuff, goods for our house, TVs, computers, iPads for your kids to watch, things to do, Peloton bikes, Remodel your bathroom, remodel your back deck because you can't go anywhere anyway. If you can go to Home Depot and get some stuff, hey, you might as well work on your house, right? All this money was spent on things and not any types of services, right? So what does that do, right? That drives the demand for trucking through the roof, right? Just the amount of things that needed to be shipped every day, right, exponentially got bigger and it happened like that, right? So that alone, right, you got two factors that determine rates, the trucking market, right? The amount of freight in the market that needs to be moved, all the stuff that moves around the United States, and the number of trucks that can move it. Nobody knew this was going to happen. In fact, the market was kind of falling leading to the pandemic in 2019. So we had a pretty tight pool of carriers. Like it wasn't oversupplied. I would say it was a pretty tight capacity coming off of 18. And then you have this huge spike in the amount of things that need to be shipped and to different places that were unpredictable, right? So when you have one, a spike in volume of freight, the demand for trucks, and it's not predictable because nobody knew this was going to happen, how fast were the volume at which, right? You're going to see massive spikes in needs for brokerages and trucks last minute. That drives rates 
up, up, and up. And we stayed there, right? We stayed there for months, the better part of over a year, year and a half, two years, right? So, I mean, I think it's really important to understand like what caused that and why that kind of needed to happen. And there wasn't really any way around creating that huge spike in the need, which was great. Got us a lot of notoriety to our industry. Nobody knew what we did before for the most part. Nobody thought about it, right? Go buy something. It's there. Take it for granted. Nobody thought about it. So I do think there were a lot of positives, but I mean, it's really important to note, I think, what really moved the market in that direction for as long as it did for that period. Yeah, I think that's a good perspective to take. And I think for carriers and freight brokerages and stuff is to look back and reflect and understand the history that built it up and maybe the leading indicators and the cause to that. My my question is for that too, though, is like we've had maybe maybe it's not unprecedented, but I haven't seen it. And that doesn't say much because I'm relatively young, but big asset-based carriers go out of business, right? Obviously, the yes. headline ones are yellow and that kind of stuff. But sure. like even, even outside of that, you had multiple 50-plus, 100-plus trucking companies go out of business. Yep. What do you think the cause of that was? Because it's not just from 2019. I know that. Maybe leading into it, but. For sure, right? And, and again, so there's a couple other things there, right? So that the other side of the economic thing is you've got a longer term thing happening, right? Normally, our economy cycles every four to six years. You get a boom, then you have a recessionary period. Sometimes you have a full recession. Sometimes it's a tightening, and then it goes usually back and cycles into growth, and it just goes around in a circle over and over again, right? You had the recessions, in, the huge one in 08, 09. You had 01 after the dot-com bomb boom, you had the late 80s, right? You had the late 70s. I don't know my economic history enough to go back much farther than that, right? But so you got the circle, right? Here's the point. So, and the crazier part though was like after the financial crisis in 09, 010, right? Rates are down because we've got to get money back into the system. And it was the longest period of having almost 0% interest rates that the U.S. has ever seen. In fact, we've never had rates that low for that long, ever. In fact, they were there so long and so low that the Fed was almost saying, hey, we don't need to worry about inflation anymore. We can change the way we actually handle the monetary policy of the entire country and how it interacts with the world because, hey, we've kept rates this low for this long and things aren't getting more expensive. All must be right in the world, right? Well, why I'm setting that up is it like, regardless of the pandemic, even had that not happened, right? Like you had cheap money for every company, big trucking companies, but it was really, I think a really good example was in the tech side, right? Because these companies could borrow money for next to nothing because interest rates are so low. So now it's really cheap to make bets into the future. If I can keep borrowing money at almost no cost, I can hire people and hope they work out and then we can play the long game. Cash flow today is not very important when it doesn't cost me much money to borrow money when I need it. And I think, not think, I mean, this is definitely what happened with a lot of them, right? You've seen large companies blow up like Theranos, you saw fraud, you saw huge spikes in some of these billion dollar companies that were wiped out as soon as interest rates started tacking up, meaning they had to pay to borrow money, right? Which as consumers, we've always had to pay to borrow money. But for big companies, that number was so low 
I think that they really just got so used to it. And you think about it, habits of people or habitual creatures, we do things over and over. You get used to being able to go to your bankers and your lenders and they're able to give you money when you need it. The terms are good. You get used to relying on that. You don't start planning as long-term as you needed to. And you stop paying attention to cash flow. How much is my business actually generating in real cash? Because for that whole decade, it was growth is king, borrow money, get VCs to fund it, and then leverage up, sell your company and leave and let somebody else turn it into a profit machine, right? Now you can't do that anymore. Now you've got to make real money right now, every day, every week to keep paying your bills if you can't go back and borrow more. Well, when that happened, at the exact same time, coming off the back of the pandemic, right, interest rates are starting to go back up. Ironically, because the cost of shipping did contribute a lot to inflation. Like literally, this was so expensive. I remember seeing things where like containers were like from China, some like $17,000 a container to come in when they were averaging prior to the pandemic, like two, three thousand, right? That's wild. They were saying that like a whole container of toothpaste, if you just filled that whole thing up, right, your average cost of toothpaste now, like 30% of what you paid at the store was all shipping, Right which was kind of crazy. So when you have all of that right on the other side of this, as we started to get back to normal and go back to life, inflation was a problem because everybody had a lot more money to spend without lots of things to do, drove the price of things up. We had less things to choose from to buy. They get more expensive. So now we're raising interest rates to tighten monetary policy to bring that down. All they're doing is slowing the economy down so that people buy less things so that we can get inflation back into normal range. Well, now the interest rates go up, honestly, probably two, three years too late, had they been in a normal economic cycle, these companies would have probably gotten a little bit used to rates going up over a longer period of time. But the government really couldn't wait because it was out of control. So they went up faster than they have in a very long time. That shocked companies. Companies weren't able to fund their losses. They weren't profitable in some areas. And they kind of got the saying goes like got over their skis, right? They got a little ahead of themselves. And then when they really needed it, they couldn't get it. And the market was down and they ran out of options. I mean, when you're not planning for the future, right? Like there's an old Warren Buffett saying, when the tide goes out, you can see who's swimming naked, right? Like if you weren't prepared and you're leveraged up and you got all the debt in the world thinking you can keep borrowing more, you're in a lot riskier position than you think you probably are, right? So, I mean, I think all those two things contribute a lot of it. I think that's that's super insightful. And it's the same out of every recession. People are like, what? What happened? What? Why? Like they got caught with their pants down. And then I think the For other sure. thing, here, here's the thing that uh, it actually still makes me a little nervous because we are getting an exodus and people obviously failed to plan, right? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail type type yep. saying, as the saying goes. But like you're coming off the tail end of the PPP and the ERC and all the stimulus money and all the injection into the business community, that's gone, right? There's still, there's trailings of the ERCs and some of those things that are out there that are still trying to go through the final phases of their um, spending of the budget. Um, But after that, it's like, if we don't see a turn, I mean, I don't know, there's no crystal ball on this, but I mean, it has to turn probably in six to eight, six to 12 months. Otherwise, there's it's going to be a lot more people going out of business. Unfortunately, I fear. Well, I don't know that it's more of the wait and see thing. I mean, companies are going out of business. We were talking about this off air. Every day, companies are going out of business, right? There was a report, not even just within our industry. I think I read on our show last week, 
there's a 30% increase in bankruptcies in small businesses this year, just over last year and the year before, right? So you have a massive number of increase in bankruptcies for a lot of the same reasons, right? Access to capital, people not spending as much in some areas as they did, or they're pulling back and these companies didn't plan for it. This is part of a healthy economy though. And this is really important, right? Just like in farming, you have to cut things down. You have to replenish the soil before you can plant again, right? Like you can't just have unending growth without retraction because it never weeds out the companies that really shouldn't be there. And it really doesn't weed out the companies that aren't really providing value in a lot of different ways, right? And again, like you, there's high name, high high image company names that come to mind. Like I just keep thinking of Theranos for some reason, because it was that huge fraud case that never would have happened had they not been able to borrow so much money for nothing. Right. But there were a lot of other companies, right. That, you know, looked great. Um, we work was another one that I just saw recently. Right. That is really attributing like a large section of the downfall of some in the office market. Right. We're shifting some of that and the values of that. So like, that absolutely contributes to all of this, regardless of where you are, but it's a healthy part of business, right? Because companies shouldn't be valued based on what may or may not happen and that be 90% of it, right? If you got no cash flow for five, six, seven years, I mean, is it really a business that should be continuing, right? Is it providing value? Are there price, is their pricing right to consumers? Does anybody want to keep doing it? We don't know, right? Because that's all hidden behind the scenes when you can borrow money really cheaply and hide all of your financials from everyone else, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's so true. You're uh, you lose fifty cents on the dollar, but you'll make up for it in volume. It's that old <laughs> an old saying, right? Of I, I can buy watermelons for a dollar and sell them for like seventy five cents, right? That's great yeah. to get customers, but you can only do it for so long. <laughs> yeah, quick, quick is down. I mean, we're feeling it for sure, and you're right. It, and it's it, like, listen everybody who's listening, it's like people go out of business every day. Like being in business is a battle. It's a grind. And if you've been in business more <sighs> than, I mean, I don't, it's like, it's like a, you hit the 12 months, like 50%, 50% of the trucking companies don't make it 12 months. You go another 12 months. It's like another double digit percentage. Don't make it 24 months. And then after you get to a certain point, it slows, but still every year in business that you keep going, it's a battle. Like it really is. If yes. you don't plan, you don't use strategy. You don't like that. It's funny, actually, on the last podcast, I was talking to these guys about strategic planning and looking backwards and like taking inventory on what you've got, what you've done, where you've where you're at, where you thought you'd be. But then looking forward, how do you apply these lessons moving forward? A trucking company or anybody, me, you, if I was coming to visit you, I'm going to get on a plane, but like I have to plug in at some point to a map, a GPS or something to guide me. I'm not just going to point that way and go east and be like, I'll find Ben at some point. We'll get there. (laughs) Like I've got to know where I'm going. I got to know what to expect. Right. And I think that's, I mean, it's definitely one of the more often overlooked things I think of running a business. Somebody had a great quote. I really liked it was like starting your own business and being entrepreneurs, kind of like being in a 24 hour a day knife fight, right? Where you're just fighting off threats all day long to keep this thing afloat until you can make it work. And then hopefully you can learn from those, right? Not make the same mistakes, find more opportunities, right? But it's risky. And you know what? If it didn't have risk, there wouldn't be a return and it wouldn't be worth going after in the first place, right? 
Like right. if you don't enjoy that, you really shouldn't be in. I, I don't think your personality is probably not a fit for the ups and downs of owning a business. And it's a lot of it's emotion, right? Like, I mean, for sure, there are huge highs and huge lows. And if that's not something that like you enjoy being a part of, right? You shouldn't own your own company, right? That should be one of the first things you think about before you decide to do this. But I think most people start their own businesses because they think it'll be easier or they think it'll be simpler or they think they'll make more money at doing less work, which is another one of my favorite sayings about entrepreneurs, right? They'll quit a 40 hour week job, right? To work 80 hours a week for themselves, right? They'll work twice as much just to not have a boss, right? And that's really what a business owner is, right? You're, I mean, what was it like when you started your business? I'm guessing you weren't working 40-hour weeks for the first year or two. Oh, dude, I still don't work 40-hour weeks, man. It's, uh, well, two, two things. One, I'm unemployable. Nobody would hire me. But then two, yeah, I'm kind of one of those people that I like to build, create, and do. And I promise you that if you are one of those people that need to clock in and clock out in two weeks and get paid for your time, owning a business is not for you because you don't get paid. Sure. You get reward and you reap the benefit yes. at some point. But I don't, I didn't. And I did this before I became like I, uh, a partner in the firm that I was at is I would show up on weekends and do reconciliation of bank statements, spreadsheets. Hey, walk me through a P&L. Teach me how to run this business. And not one time did I say, hey, I would love to get paid my hourly wage to come do this. Right. I was willing to be an owner without getting paid to learn what it takes yes. because that's what I wanted to do. For sure. And that's exactly it, right? Like it's a gamble every single day. You're gambling with your time into the future to hope that you will get rewarded or get some payoff for the gamble that you're making every day, right? Freight 360, Nate and I didn't earn a dime the first, I think, 12, 14 months we were doing it before any of that started to work, right? That's probably hundreds, I don't know, close to a thousand hours if you added everything up between both of us of just gambling, right? And if you looked at what we would have charged or somebody would have paid us per hour, even on the low end, right? Like that's a huge gamble. But if you believe in it, right, then it doesn't seem as risky. But either way, like the journey to me seems like it's worth it. I, I do. And, I, and I, I don't regret it. That's what makes it fun and exciting. I think you mentioned something too, though, that I like to point out to people. And I do this with my um, staff, employees or, or whatever is emotions. Great, right? You got to have emotion. Everyone has emotions and like you, you tie into this and especially when it's your business, your trucking company, your freight brokerage, whatever you're invested all the way now, emotionally or whatever with emotions though, you amplify whatever it is. If it's a problem, that problem is way bigger than it needs to be because of the emotion. If you win, that win is celebrated like it's the biggest win ever because of emotion. Mm -hmm. When in reality, it, it, that problem is probably not as big a problem as, it, as you think it is, especially if you For think sure. it through and you rationalize and you plan and you've somewhat strategized up until that point. It's like we all take losses. We take lumps, but you learn from them. Right. And that was kind of the theme of my last thing is like we have wins and you have lessons. A loss only becomes a yep. loss when you fail to learn. It's a loss. Then yeah, For sure. Fucking give up. Exactly. But, yeah. And, and I think that's really important, right? Because, you know, we were talking a little bit on regards to like, you know, what the future outlook is or what are current strategies or what are people doing now to survive, right? And here's the thing, like business opportunities are not created just in up markets, right? No matter what it is, right? In peak markets. Yes, at a peak market where everybody needs something, almost anybody can participate and at least survive, right? Because there's just such a huge need, right? So very few people fail in an up market, right? 
But just like economic cycles in the whole country of any country, right? They all, it's a big Ferris wheel. It goes around and around over and over again. If you're here, you will be here soon. You will be here inevitably. And then back to here and back to here, right? And if you're starting a business and you expect to be in business more than a few years, expect to be in both an up and a down market, especially in trucking, right? The average market is only like 16 months. So if you plan to be in the business more than two years, you're going to see all sides of the market, maybe see a full circle within three, right? But everybody, right, we're all human and we all have recency bias and we all expect whatever we're in right now to last forever. The peak markets feel like they'll last forever and the down markets feel like they're never going to end. But the reality is, is they all do. It's inevitable, right? But here's my favorite part of all this is opportunities aren't created just in peak markets, right? They're created by the change in the market, right? So if you've got a market that's going down, right, and you've got carriers, they're going to go out of business. You have brokers that are going to go out of business. By the way, you also have shippers going out of business. Everybody is fair game. Nobody is left off that list of at risk when you're in a retracting market, right? But if you do the right things, if you are ethical, if you do what you say you're going to do, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard, right? You tell your customer, you'll let them know what's going to go on with that shipment. Well, until you screwed up and it's really hard to call them and tell them that you made a mistake and that they are going to have to eat some charge or some expense, or you don't know how to explain it, that's when it matters, right? And why that's important is because if you're doing all of those things, as all these other shaky companies are trying to hang on, right, you start to be you start to outshine your peers, right? There's a differentiation, right? Like when everybody else is fearful and scared and they're not being honest or not doing the things that they would have done in a great market because money was great, you start to look a lot different, start to be much more valuable to your customers and whatever you're doing. And guess what? If you get a customer in a down market, what do you think the likelihood is that that customer stays with you in an up market, right? Now, what's the other side? If you get a customer in an up market when it's easy for everybody, you think that customer is going to have much loyalty to you when they don't really need you? I mean, you've never really proven much. You were getting them what everybody else could when it was easy to get it. There's no real reason for them to pick you over the other 10 or 20 companies they worked with. But if you did it when it was hard and nobody else was willing to do it and you hustled faster, harder, picked up that phone, stayed later, called more trucks to get that load covered, did whatever it was that was more than what was expected of you, you can absolutely succeed in these markets and pick up the crumbs that are being dropped by the companies that weren't doing those things. So to me, up, down, middle, I don't care. As long as it's moving, it's creating opportunities. And if you hustle enough, yeah, I'm gonna get less opportunities in this one than in a top market, but these will stay with me a lot longer. And I don't care because I'm gonna be in it longer anyway. I'm not gonna get, to your point, super emotional because of where it is, right? Like. I've lived through a few economic downturns at my age now, like I've lived through two of them as an adult. Most people haven't lived through one. If you started in the workforce less than 13 years ago, you've never seen a downturn and you just thought this was never, ever going to happen, right? It's again, another upside to having gone through this, right? Going through other downturns provides the ability to understand that it is temporary when the next one comes, right? I think starting in a downturn is great because there's really only one way to go. For sure. Well, right. I, I got into sales right when I was 20 years old and it was in 07. And the funny part about that was it was literally my my clients were contractors in construction and um, transportation. So probably the hardest time to get in there. And people were like, you're selling what to who? Like, 
Mm-hmm. Are you crazy? But I knew no different. I was 20 years old. Like, I don't exactly. know. I'm just picking up the phone and talking to people. That's all I know. Ignorance <laughs> ignorance could be a huge oh. asset, right? Like well, you, it's like in hindsight, you're like, I never would have done that again. But that's why you pushed because you didn't know any better, right? Like oh, it's, it's a it, huge it's asset. absolutely amazing. And it's so funny too, the people coming in the workforce now, they think, man, I, my mortgage isn't 2%, 2.5, 2.9, Now the mortgages are, well, now they're like, I don't, I don't know. Seven, eight percent, somewhere Sevens, in that range. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and they couldn't fathom getting a five percent mortgage when, in in reality, five percent is very low in the long, yes. in the hundred year cycle. <laughs> it's like that's Zoom still a phenomenal rate. Yes, you know exactly. Um, but you, my parents, you, my parents bought our first house at I think seventeen percent in the late seventies, early eighties, right? So like, so wild to think twice as high as they are now, right? So wild, to and think. for longer. <laughs> yeah, the arms and adjustable arm, all the stuff, the the crazy stuff that no longer is there. Thank God, um, left people in in a bad way there. I think it's kind of wild too, though, because it's very much a popcorn society, right? People are jumping from thing to thing. The work from home thing, I think it's beautiful. I think the technology and leveraging that and the ability to work from wherever, in theory, is great. What it doesn't do, though, and what it what it what I've seen anyway for a lot of folks is it separates that culture. You no longer for have sure. loyalty, no longer bought in, you no longer tie into the company, the meaning. It's kind of a little bit more portable now where, hey, I'm going to jump over here for a couple dollars more an hour and I'm going to do this and I'm going to play this ladder game. But then I look and in six months or 18 months over the last couple of years, I've watched people do this. They're out looking for jobs. Hey, does anyone know how to get a job here? Hey, does anyone know anybody hiring here? Hey, it's like, why did, did that great career not work out or that opportunity not work out? Or who I've seen do it consistently are folks like you and a lot of friends that I see. It's like, yeah, we didn't have great years. We might have had good years in terms of being a business owner and like persevering and having those wins because that's how you're wired. But like, it wasn't all great like a lot of people would have given up but here you are so exactly and i think it's really important right is that almost anybody can't right it's that most people won't right and i think that's the bigger differentiator right most people give up when it gets scary we'll find something else when it's hard we'll look for an easier way to do things right and then look back and say well I don't know why, or they look for other reasons to lay that responsibility. Well, it wasn't my fault. It was the market. Oh, it was that company I worked for. It was the industry. I didn't get my shot, right? And the reality is, is no. Every time you place responsibility outside of yourself, you lose the ability to change the outcome too. Because if it is any of those things, you can't do anything about it anyway. So now what? Okay, great. So you're right. Now what are you going to do? Do the same thing again, right? But if you take all of that blame, even if it was partially not your own, and take full responsibility to change it to your earlier point, you've learned. You've learned to take responsibility and found, because you need to find, if you're going to stay with it, a solution to overcome that. No matter how scary, how hard it was, or how difficult, you're going to push through and over it to see what's on the other side. And you know what? The other side might still be failure. You might still not succeed. But hopefully you learned what you were made of and you found out that you could push probably a lot farther than you ever could. And the next opportunity, right, you are likely to succeed. That's why they always say like most successful business owners were like 10 years in the making because they failed at like 12 other businesses or six other things or all these different hustles that they tried, right, because they're just super excited and passionate about it. But to your point, every one of those failures 
wasn't lost, right? There was an important lesson. And when you roll them all together over the years, right, you end up with somebody that has some knowledge and some education around life experience Mm -hmm. and what to do and what they're really made of for when the hard times come, they know that they can weather that storm, right? becomes a little easier once you've weathered one or two in the past. I think 100%. And it only takes one time to succeed or one relationship. And someone um, just recently mentioned, it's like, you're only one call away, one email away, one connection away, one referral away, one whatever away from potentially changing your life. For sure. And that's the one thing I love about our industry, freight brokerage, whether you're on the asset side or the brokerage side, right? For sure. I've seen people go from barely making, I've had clients, right. That have, were never making more than 50 grand a year as a freight broker. And then we're making $40,000 a month, right. For the next two, three years, because of one email to one prospect that happened to be at the time. And they did the hard work of connecting and building that rapport, literally changed their life, right. Forever, right. Paid off college debt. We're able to get some breathing room. We're able to have kids that they couldn't afford. Like Every definition of your ability to change your life, right, can come through one shot, right? Now, you got to dig through a thousand to get to that one, maybe 5,000 in a down market, maybe 500 in an up market, but it's still there. Yeah. However many, keep picking up. Uh, What what do you, um, I mean, there's no crystal ball. I know that, but what are you thinking for the next Q4? I'm thinking hopefully it should boom as it always does. It's pretty typical, but then beyond, what are you planning for next year? What are you advising your clients for next year? What are you hearing about next year? What are your thoughts? So it goes back to what I was saying earlier, right? Like even in a down market, right? Like I try to play multiple strategies, right? Not to have all my eggs in one proverbial basket, right? So like, my expectation is pretty in line with, I'd say, where the market expects things to be. That, like, if inflation, and we got a good report actually out today, if it stays in line, and the Fed announced literally like yesterday or a couple of days ago, they don't know that if even this report comes out well, that it'll still hold through the rest of the winter and into the spring. But let's say it does, and they do not have to raise interest rates. And let's say expectations are they're able to bring them down a bit in mid 24. Like, a lot of the guys, Chris Kaplis over at DAT and a lot of the other people, Jason Miller, um, Dean over there, Ken Adamo, are all kind of around somewhere around, I'd say, like spring, give or take two or three months that they feel like you'll start to see either we'll get used to the interest rates or they may start to come down. If one of those two things happens, we're going to have more goods to ship, right? Which is what we need, right? But on the other side of that, trucks are going out of business every day and every week, right? So this market is tightening, right? We just don't know how much it needs to tighten before that spot market goes up. And the other thing that's happening are shippers are intentionally pushing their bids down as far as they can because they know they're still paying a premium held over from the pandemic. And we didn't talk about this, but when capacity was super tight, shippers inflated contract rates well above spot market. Well, in order for spot rates to come up, you need trucks to fall out of a routing guide into the spot market for them to increase the spot market rates. Well, they're literally upside down, which doesn't make economic sense because of the pandemic. So as shippers are pushing their bids down, they're pushing them past a place that is sustainable. They are going to speed up this market turn, regardless, I think, of what is going to happen with the freight in the market, because they're pushing as far as they can to get more savings, rightfully so, everybody else is. But I think they're going to overplay their hand, and I think it's going to speed that up And I think as you're seeing the carriers get punished by the shippers pushing these down further and further and the lack of business, right? Like 
it's going to expedite this. So I think even if the rates don't come down for the whole economy until mid or late next year, I think that tight on the capacity side is going to start driving up spot rates. And as soon as these spot rates start to go above contract, you're going to start to see fallouts between shippers and direct relationships with carriers. They'll start taking the higher paying spot load as they come up, as produce starts to come through. Um, Housing is going to be a little difficult, I think, with flatbeds and things like that for obvious reasons. But again, as people get used to interest rates, people get a little more comfortable buying homes and moving, right? Even though it might not be what they want, it's okay. When they feel like the rates might go up or down, that's a lot of uncertainty. People don't want to do that, right? So I do think we're going to see a few things happen that are really going to bode well for us, right? So strategies are, guess what? If you wait to make prospecting calls until that happens, I am going to beat your ass because I am calling these companies right now every day. And I'm not asking them for freight right now. I'm not asking them to get me loads. I'm not asking them to get me onboarded. I am prospecting them because I want to build a long-term relationship with them in a down market to be there when they need me for no money at all because I know if I help them there when they do need help, I'm going to be one of the first people that they're going to reach out to or at least talk to me. All I need to do is to get into the conversation, right? And if I am consistent, right, just like any business, if I'm consistent with my activity day in and day out, week after week, from now until wherever that is, if it's three months, six months or 12 months, right, I'm going to wait it out because I know the sun's going to shine, the clouds are going to blow past And I am going to be in a position that is far ahead of everybody that is waiting for it to get easier to start doing the hard work. So to me, this is not that bad. It's the same thing with the housing market. Like I was in commercial real estate when it fell apart in the late 2000s. But on the other end of that was a huge boom, right? And it has been a boom literally until now, right? So again, there's always a storm. It's just, are you going to weather it to be on the other side and position your well enough, position yourself well enough to take advantage of it? Or are you going to sit on your hands and wait for things to get easier and then hope you can catch up once the clouds pass, right? So for me, do the same things. Be consistent at it. Different conversations, obviously, different context of time. But if you're building relationships, that's this whole industry is about, right? Like getting somebody to know, like, and trust you, right? I don't need them to use me to get that accomplished. I just need to be able to talk to them. And now they got a lot of time to talk to me. So they're a lot more receptive. They're answering my emails. They're answering my phone calls. I'm able to talk to them, get to know them a little bit, right? To me, that's a huge advantage that you don't have access to in a peak market, right? Oh, I love that. There's an old saying that I learned early on. It's the difference between a contact and a contract is the R and it's relationship. It's like kind of key. Yeah, it, it was a it was a good one, and I um, it's like be different. I, I think there is some herd mentality, right? People will jump on the oh, bandwagon of how bad it is, and they they fall victim of the chatter and and all the different talking heads that it's all negative, and people lean into that, and they're like, yeah, it is negative. It's never going to turn around. Their friends are selling all their equipment or whatever, getting out of the business, and it just kind of I think influences them. But that's what I love is about perseverance and the people that have grit and want to stand out. It's really easy to stand out. Just show up and be consistent. That's it. There's no secret sauce. It literally put in the hard work every single day, show up, be there, be available, return calls. Like, I I mean, I don't have to tell you, like literally people I talk to, they're like, wow, you called me back. (laughs) 
it's like like I that's can't the even standard. Have my, how awesome how is, is that it, right it, it's not my agent that's literally all you gotta do to set a good example <laughs> like that. i just called this guy back and he loves me yeah. <laughs> like how easy is that it is they're like i want to work with you but some, sometimes i can't but i try to give them value regardless but it's like man you just you answer your phone you call back and i have to call back yes. i'm busy so i don't answer all the time but i will call you back <laughs> i promise you know so for sure and i appreciate it i think that that's so much um stuff for people to chew on and think about and really uh, take and, and implement into their business strategies, at least think about it. Like those things should have at least posed questions in people's minds to be like, holy shit, I didn't think about this or think about this con- this angle or what caused this and how can I take this information to be better here and pivot. And and I love that too. The, the uh, daily activities and actions are what um, will drive and breed results long-term. So that's awesome. I want to give you a quote to kind of wrap this up that really pulls a lot of this together, right? What looks like talent is often good positioning. And the best way to put yourself in a good position is with good preparation. A good position allows you to think clearly rather than be forced by circumstances into a decision. Shane Parrish. I don't know where that was from, but that quote, right, reminds me a lot of the companies that we were talking about earlier, right, that didn't have their arms around how much debt they had, how much leverage, how exposed they were to an environment of rates going up. And ironically, most banks got caught flat-footed, which is the irony of all ironies, right? Like you literally make money by lending and borrowing money on interest rates, and you didn't think that was ever going to change, even though it always has. But it goes to every business owner, right? Like, And it's something I think about a lot more now as I get older and to go through this, right? It's that why Warren Buffett and these great investors were able to have such extremely long careers is their number one rule was don't lose money, right? And all that means is like, hey, be prepared, have a rainy day fund because this is not going to be the last downturn of the economy. And when we come out the other side, put some money away for the next one because you're going to be back here again. And if you've got a savings as a business owner, right, in a down market, You don't have to make impulsive stress driven decisions like firing people because you can't make payroll for a couple of weeks because you lost one account and you might get another one in three weeks, but you can't bridge that gap because the banks won't give you money. Be your own stopgap. Prepare for these things. Right. They are predictable. It's going to happen again. They always do. Right. So if you're in a position where you wish you were better prepared, this is one of those lessons. Hey, maybe it didn't work out. Maybe you got to start another company on the other side, but everybody can. Most people that succeed didn't succeed the first time, but when they succeed eventually, it's because they're now focusing to your point on where they're going and what they need to get there. Nobody jumped in a covered wagon 160 years ago and went, I'm going to go to Oregon and not take any food with me, right? Like you plan for that journey, right? If I was going to come see you on a covered wagon, I would need to know what I need to bring with me, right? But if you're going to go build a business from zero I hear people go $20 million, but not put any thought in what you'll need to get from here to there and what the ups and downs look like, you're probably not going to be in really good preparation. And as soon as the the storm comes, you can't do anything but react. And it's a bad position to be in. Yeah, that's a great quote. I love that. I'm going to use that too, just because it embodies kind of everything you need and the mental fortitude to kind of persevere and get through this stuff. I mean, it's, uh, that's awesome. I love that. Where can people find you, follow you, get in touch with Freight 360? You guys are doing a lot of great things. You're putting out a ton of content. Um, I'm guessing there's some exciting stuff coming up. 
Yeah, you can see us. You can find us at Freight360.net. We're revamping our website. There's a search bar in there. So you can search all of our all of our content for whatever it is you want to learn. So if you're a freight broker and you want to work on prospecting, throw prospecting in the search bar, all of our content. Excuse me. Lead generation, same thing, any topic. So huge resource there. You can also find us on LinkedIn. You can find us on YouTube. We've got a large audience on YouTube. And you can find our podcast that we release now twice a week. We do the final mile. I believe it gets released on Monday night at midnight, which are our Q&A for the week. All the questions that all our answers are all of the questions from our listeners. We answer on that show. And then we do a full hour broadcast that drops on midnight Thursday going into Friday every week. You can listen to that at wherever you find your podcast. Love it. Everybody go out and follow him. Ben, thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, brother. All right.